How are you guys? You good? Good, good. I'm proud of you for being here today. It makes me happy to see all your faces. Uh, when I was um, about seven years old, I went uh, body surfing with my grandfather, and uh, this was kind of San Diego area, and I just had grown up doing that. I mean, that, he taught me how to swim. He, just, he threw me in the ocean at two years old, and, and that's, that's how I learned. Uh, if I sank, then it would have been bad. Um, but I figured it out, and, and uh, so years later, we were down at the beach and just having a good time out body surfing, and, and then he decided to go in, and uh, I decided to stay out, and wh while I was out, now I'm, I'm really tiny, seven years old or so, I, I can see that the waves that I really want are just a little bit further out, and so I started um, just kind of moving my way out there a little bit, and then it got to the point where I, when the waves would swell up, I couldn't really touch so well, and they'd come back down, oh good, okay, I can touch again. But I had to still go out just a little bit farther, and so I kept kind of going, and, uh, and pretty soon, whether the waves were swelling or, or not, I, I couldn't touch at all. And it wasn't long before I looked on shore, because I had been tracking where my grandfather was, and he had these sweet like yellow shorts that went to like right here. <laughs> That's all I could see was yellow shorts, but they're getting like smaller and smaller, which in my intelligent brain went, well, I'm drifting out to sea. And there was a, a rip current, and a rip current is just kind of a surface level thing of water, and it goes from the shore and, and sweeps you out to sea if you're not real careful. Now, at that moment, like, you, you've been in those situations before where you're just out in the middle of nowhere and you're kind of swimming around, oh, I don't like this at all, this is not good, I'm waiting for Jaws to come up and suck me down. I'd seen what he had done to that woman uh, in the movie, and this was totally going to happen to me. Um, or when seaweed touches you, and that makes you scream worse than if a shark's going to eat you. And uh, so I was just like, not, this is just weird. I'm like, I need to get going in. So now, the, the normal response in that situation would be to like swim as hard as you can just against this rip current and, and try to make it back in. But that's really impossible. It's, it's, it's the wrong thing to do. You'll get, you'll get so tired, you'll, you'll never make it back in. And a lot of people actually end up drowning because of it. My grandfather had told me, though, that if I ever found myself in that situation, that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to swim parallel to the shore. You're supposed to swim parallel to it because the rip currents only go out in a certain um, yard span. And if you can get outside of that, then you can finally make it back in. And I'm starting to get a little bit tired, so I'm thinking now's a good time to, instead of just fight the current, I'm going to just swim parallel to the shore. And so I start swimming parallel to the shore, and I don't know if it's just a little guy or whatever, I'm starting to track my grandfather, and now the yellow shorts are moving over here. And I look on because I see red shorts, and suddenly David Hasselhoff is running at me <laughs> full speed, and he, he knew that I was getting swept out. And so I got to have my first like lifeguard rescue and got to ride in on that inflatable thing, and it, it was... It was awesome. But it made me think that there are times where um, everything in you wants to fight the current. And that's exactly the wrong thing to do. There are times where you just want to take control of the situation. You know naturally what works best. And when you go at it, that's actually going to be the very thing that's going to kill you or hurt you. When if you would have just gone with the flow and let the current take you where it needed to, you would have been a lot better off. We have come up with situations like this in our life all the time, but I believe that if we get this concept wrong when it comes to God, we're going to be in trouble. 
If we are constantly trying to fight the current of God, the influence of God, the lordship of God, I I think we're going to be exhausted and and we just may go under. Where if we would surrender to his leading, if we would submit to his lordship and let him take us where he needs us to go, I I believe that this will make a huge difference in, in our lives. And so that's our topic today is lordship. If you have your, your Bible this morning, you guys, this is, if I had like three favorite topics to talk about, this, this would be one of them. This is huge for us today. Um, I apologize if it is repetitive for some of you, and yet this is the very thing that for me as a follower of Jesus, I need to have these passages, these thoughts, these principles just right on my fingertips right at the forefront of my mind every single day, that when I wake up every single morning, I realize I've got this opportunity to acknowledge whether Jesus is Lord of my life or not. And so, um, Philippians chapter 2, such a powerful, powerful passage. Look at verse 5. It says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then now we get the picture of what that attitude was like. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. I mean, Jesus was God, and so right off the bat, he's going to give us an example of how to surrender and how to submit when everything in him was probably like, well, I'm God. There's no way I'm going to give up my rights and my power and all that stuff to go down and be one of us, one of the humans. And yet he gives us this amazing picture of submission and what happens in surrender to, to lordship. It says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or clung onto, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here is the moment that all of history is driving toward. Whether you're aware of that right now or not, all of history is driving toward a moment where supernatural or not, living or not, aware of it or not, everyone will come to a moment where they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did what he said he did, that this is in fact true. All of history is driving toward that moment and we're kind of in the middle of it here. And it seems like it's taking a long time. And yet in this moment, right at this very moment, the, 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 the moment that you're thinking about right now, right, right now, that, that moment, and, and, and then that moment, and then whatever, this moment, that, right, this moment, this, this moment. Every single moment, like Jesus is full on Lord of all. He is in control. He's got the stars in his hands. He's handling the oceans right now. He's checking out all sorts of animals and making sure that they're working along. He's allowing you the ability to breathe at this very moment, allowing your heart to beat another beat. 
He's taking people from death to life. He's speaking truth into people. He's comforting people. He is drawing people to himself. It's an amazing thing that right now in this moment to know that Jesus is Lord of it all. See, that's not the question. The question isn't, is Jesus Lord? Yes, he is. The question is, will you make him the Lord of your life? Will you acknowledge this Jesus as not just the Lord of all, but the Lord of your life? It's a big question. And scriptures talk about how even the demons believe that Jesus is God. So what separates us from them? It's this issue of lordship. And whether or not we have stepped into this relationship with Jesus and said, I'm going to make you what you already are, but in my life. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to let go. I'm going to give up. And I'm going to allow you to have your way in every single part of me. I know that history is driving toward this moment. Instead of you having to force me into this position where I'll just be aware of it, I'm going to realize it now and make the most of my life and let you take me where, where you want me to be allow you to to mold me and to shape me. And so I'm going to give you free access to be Lord of my life, master, ruler, controller, all times and all places. You got all access to influence and direct me. that's, That's his heart and that's his hope for us. If you look at Romans, if you move to the left, just a couple of books, go to Romans chapter 14 get a good picture that this is the heart of God, that he wants wants us just to follow that example that Jesus followed with the Father to ungrasp, let go, submit, surrender, and allow the Father to lift us up, build us up, strengthen us up, exalt us in the the proper time. Look at verse 7 of Romans 14. It says, for none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I know that someday I'm going to stand before God and have to give an account about how I handled the lordship of Jesus Christ how I allowed Jesus to be the the Lord of my life or not, or whether I sectioned off certain parts of my life that I just was unwilling to give him access to, or whether I just completely disregarded him as Lord altogether and never did make him Lord. The desire that God has that you invite him in and let him flood through every single aspect of you. And right now as you sit, especially those parts that you you don't want him to see, especially those parts that you don't want him to touch, especially those parts that maybe you would like to keep secret from him. He knows they're there, and he is still madly in love with you. And now he's just asking for every part of you. 
to submit to the fact that he is Lord, he is master over everything, that you would then allow him that access into your life, into every area. I apologize if this is, if this is something you guys have heard from me before, but it, it, it is something that I, I almost have to walk through every single day. And it's, it's kind of like this. If you're driving down the road and you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you just went, whoa, there was Jesus back there. And you kept going, is Jesus the Lord of your life? No. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you pulled over, and you popped the trunk, and you're like, hey, Christ, just jump in the trunk back there. We'll you know, cram in next to the spare tire and lock the trunk, and off you go. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? No. If you're driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, and you pulled over, and you let him ride in the back seat, and you're like, this is good, Jesus, right? This is good. You can listen to my music. You can feel the air conditioning. At least you're going the same direction I am, Jesus. Isn't that good? Here we go. <laughs> is Jesus the Lord of your life? No. Not even if you were driving down the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking, you pull over and you let him ride shotgun. He's not the Lord of You've seen this bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot. That is, that's poop. <laughs> that is awful. It is really, really bad. He's not your, you're not equals. You're not just, you're not in control looking over to him, navigating. He is not the co-pilot. Not even if you're driving down there and you saw him hitchhiking and, and you pull over and let him ride shotgun. He is not the Lord of your life. Not until you were driving on the road, you saw Jesus hitchhiking and you pull over, you get out of the driver's seat, you pull the keys from the ignition and you hand them to him and you say, you drive, you take me where you want to go. You prove that you're trustworthy. I know that I don't know where I need to go, so here you go, take it on. Then he is the Lord of your life. This becomes a daily thing. I don't know how many times I have woken up in the morning and just gone, I, I just, I just want to drive today. I'm going to sit in the driver's seat. I'm going to take control. Now, I've done that so many times. I've had seasons in my life where Jesus has been firmly planted in the driver's seat. And then I've had those seasons, more than I would like to admit, where he is in the passenger seat or the back seat or the trunk, and there's probably been times where I've kicked him out of the car altogether. And yet I believe today he is asking those of you that have never ever handed over the keys of your life to him as Lord, I believe that that's his desire for you today. And for those of you that at some point in your life you did hand over the keys but in the last days or weeks or months, you have taken back over the driver's seat. And I believe today that he wants to be Lord again for you. That you would submit to who he already is and not fight it. Because the road that you're on will lead to something very, very painful that I believe that he's trying just to save you from. It's a hard thing when we get into this deal with Jesus as Lord because there's some people that hear about how he's in control of everything and he is that powerful and, and, it, and it, freaks, it freaks you out. 
That I mean, wow, he, he is that huge, that powerful. Now he's become this scary creature that it can just zap me whenever and I've, I've got to have him in the car with me. That, that's kind of scary. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there's other people that go, I got the God of the universe in my car with me. We must be buddies. And I, so I could just treat him however I want, talk to him however I want, and really take for granted that he's still God. Those are kind of the polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And I believe that, that in Scripture, God gives us a pretty cool picture of Jesus as Lord and, and both sides he, he has something to say about. And I just want to share these two passages with you, and then, and then we're done. If you have your Bible, it's John chapter 13 that we're going to look at. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you get a chance to read this chapter sometime this week, it would be great. Such an amazing chapter. Jesus has uh, been spending some time with his disciples and he has just washed his disciples' feet, further proving that he had became a servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that he has just dropped to his knees and washed his disciples' feet. And then they're all hanging around. They've been eating. They're hanging around the dinner table, spending some time together. And this is, this is just to set the context a little bit, because if you don't get this, what I'm about to read won't, won't really click. It won't make much sense. In their culture, their tables were real, real low, real short. And when you would dine, you would actually lay down next to the table. You'd lean back on your elbow, and then you'd reach over and just grab food and eat it. And everybody would literally be sprawled out around this table, just kind of hanging out together. So that's the context. Jesus has been chatting with them. Verse 21 of John 13. After he had said this, it says, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, was reclining next to him. Another translation says leaning next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, John, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? I'd read that a bunch of times, and and nothing really jumped out at me until a couple of years ago. Two times in those four verses, John makes it a point to let us know that he was reclining next to, leaning back against Jesus. Why, why would he go to such great pains two times in four verses to say, I was leaning back against Jesus, and then Peter asked me, hey, ask him who it is. And then leaning back against Jesus again, why, why would you do that? At the end of John, he, he says the same thing. You go to the very end of John and he brings it up one more time. This is John, John's the one that was leaning back against Jesus. I believe that, and now picture it, because again, he is, he's leaning down on the table. It's not as weird. It would be hard if you were sitting at a normal table to, to recline against somebody, but it's a little more plausible when you're leaning, leaning back against each other, when you're already laying down, okay? 
So theology point for today, Jesus wants to cuddle. <laughs> you can walk out of here. Okay, before the guys freak completely out. It's not like that. Why in the world would he do this? I believe that John goes to these pains to describe the situation because for all eternity, I believe that God wanted us to know what kind of man Jesus was. Jesus is Lord, and the fullness of who he was in this amazing way is, is, was all God and all man. But what a great picture of what kind of man he was. If Jesus walked in this room, he would be the absolute first guy going around bringing comfort to people here. He would be the first guy walking into this room to give a hug or a handshake or a pat on the back if you needed it. If you needed to absolutely just collapse in his arms, he would welcome that. Can you imagine being John in this situation? Lean back with his head against the chest of Jesus. Literally could hear the heartbeat of God. In this moment, in this place right now, you need to know that part of Jesus being Lord for you means that he wants you to be so close that you could hear his heartbeat. He desires a level of relationship that is so powerful and so close that, that you would hear his heartbeat that you would have a friendship. So anytime that you get too freaked out about Jesus being Lord and the divine side and how powerful and huge he is, remember that he is also a Lord that desires that level of intimacy and closeness with his friends. And that's important for you to know. Whatever it is that you're dealing with right now, whatever is locked away in an area of your life that you haven't allowed him access to, it is the loving eyes of a friend with which he gazes upon those areas of your life. Not eyes of condemnation. Flip over to Revelation, last passage and then we're done. Revelation chapter one, last book of your Bible. Revelation chapter 1. Anybody know who wrote Revelation, who got the revelation from God? John. Same John that was leaned back against the chest of Jesus that we just looked at. It's the same John that we see here having an experience with Jesus this time again, but it is a polar opposite experience of hanging around the table, kicking back with his close friend. Check this out. Revelation chapter one, look at verse uh, 12. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, each of these things are going to be symbolic things about Jesus. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though 
dead. Now this is an entirely different picture of Jesus as Lord. This is not the type of Jesus you want to rush up and cuddle with. This is not the type of Jesus you want to rush up and, and, and embrace. This now is the picture of Jesus in his full divinity, in, in the full power of him being Lord, Son of God. His hair is white like wool, eyes like fire, sun just shining out from his face. His voice sounds like waterfalls. He's got this sword coming out of his mouth. And when John sees this, this is not, I want to rush up, hey, there's my friend. It is so frightening, so overwhelming, so huge, the power that he's beholding, that it freaks him out. He drops down on his face as though he were dead. When he sees how huge and powerful his Jesus is. And we would do well to remember that. You see, sometimes, especially in our culture today, maybe we could swing too far and forget that, yes, as loving and compassionate and forgiving as Jesus is, he is all those things. But we can take that for granted and forget that he is Lord of all. We forget that he holds extreme power in his hands. And for us just to kind of Oh, yeah, I believe in you, but then go live a whole other way is taking gross advantage of who he is as Lord. And so sometimes I think maybe we, we talk to him too callously. We pray to him like we would just talk to one of our buddies. We don't interact with him with respect and honor for the God that he is. And that's, that's not okay. And yet, Scripture gives us both sides. We have the Jesus who desires to pull us in that we might hear his heartbeat and comfort us. We've also got the Jesus that is the Son of God, who is God, and is able to hold stars in his hand. I love, though, how he wraps it up. Look at verse 17 again. It says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. John has just hit his face overwhelmed by the power of God that he sees. He falls down on his face, and what does scripture say? That Jesus reaches down with his right hand and puts it on John. Well, what was Jesus just holding in his right hand? He was holding stars. Does it not blow you away that the Lord of all creation, the Lord that you and I serve, the Lord that desires to be your friend and your savior and have this relationship with, at any given moment, would be willing to put stars in their place, put them on the shelf for a moment so that he might reach down and extend a hand of comfort to you and to me. This is our Lord. This is how huge and how powerful he is. This is how compassionate he is. 
And so in response to that, our response should be, here are the keys. Here are the keys to my life. You take me where you want to go. I give up. And I'm going to let you drive today. Do it. Let's pray. Father, we just acknowledge, God, that you are Lord. That you are Lord of all. You are the greatest and the highest. That there is a moment coming that everyone will finally see it. But I pray, Lord, that, that all of us in this room would see it today. And that instead of fighting the current, we would allow you to take control and take us where you want to. We thank you that you are a Lord who is desiring to be as close as our breath. But we also thank you that you are a Lord who is the only God who gave us such an amazing picture of what surrender and submission looks like. And then in proper time, you, Father, lifted up your son, Jesus. Would you do the same thing with us? Would you allow us to be able to say, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord, because every part of us we've given access to. With your eyes closed and heads bowed, if maybe some of you in here today have never handed over the keys of your life to Jesus, then maybe today's the day you do that. In the sincerity of your heart and of your own words, you would just pray a prayer something like this. Today, I, I hand the keys over to you. I apologize for just taking myself down the wrong road, just for wanting to be in control. Today, God, I, I, I give up that control to you as Lord. Take me where you want to go. Make me who you want me to be. Maybe some of you in this room, you already have a relationship with Jesus, but some time ago you pushed him to the passenger seat or the back seat or maybe out of the car altogether. And maybe today is a day, Super Bowl Sunday, 2008, that you invite him back into the seat that is fitting for the Lord, the only seat, and that's the driver's seat of your life. Father, we, we need help every single day, Father, to keep you in the driver's seat. So would you just keep us aware of that need every single day and able to hand the keys over daily?
to acknowledge that you are the greatest and the highest and the Lord of all. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.